they marveled at your signs, your wonders. They thought you had died, but you saved the world. A sign, power, divine authority. Expect a miracle. Believe for a miracle. Receive for a miracle. And be responsible to manage your miracle. Where miracles are, there certainly God is. Well, good morning. How's everybody? That's pretty good. Let me try it again. How's everybody? Yeah, when you are awake and excited, I preach better. So if you have no other motivation than a better sermon, so be it. Amen? Nothing wrong with that. Oh. What the Spirit of God wants to do in you today is beyond what you came prepared to receive. The only hindrance to what he wants to do and will do is you. That's it. It's not your past. It's not your friends. It's not your excuses. It's not your health. It's nothing. God just wants to totally just come over you in such a powerful and mighty way that you are never the same. I'd just like to be better version of you tomorrow. Isn't that good? I just want to be a better version of me. You know, here's the truth that God began to show me for this message. It is this, that God is building an army, not an audience. God wants an army. See, if all God wanted was an audience, he would build the biggest football stadium in the world. There's going to be a Super Bowl come up, and it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of you are going to have parties. It's going to be good. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's an audience. It will not change anyone's life. It will not make any difference the next day for anyone, anyone for eternity because it's an audience. But God wants an army. God started with just a few. But look what happened to that few. And our task and our role is to represent Jesus on earth. I didn't say represent him. Represent him. That is that as you walk in the Spirit of God, people are encountering Jesus in you. You're not just representing like you would for some company. No, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in your human flesh living out his life in you and through you so that when people encounter you, they go, what's different about you? And you say, it's not me, it's him. It's him. And so what I want you to see is as you study the Word of God, Jesus started with a core group of 12. And those 12, he knew from the very beginning, one had a traitor. His name was Judas. He knew the temperament because he was God in the flesh. He knew the temperament. He knew the character. He knew the gifts. He knew the talents. He knew the, the, the bent of every single one of them. And he, he gathered them together in such a way, in such a collective group, that it would be without excuse that we could make about why things aren't working in our life. Because he brought in one of the closest associates as a traitor. 
Let me show you how I do in the midst of this. He had an army, an army of 11 that would raise up and begin to work the work of the kingdom. With that, he then selected 70 more. And he used the 12 to train the 70. So as they began to pour in to the 70, all that they had experienced, they were now not coming just as that one who represents Jesus. They were coming one who had literally given up everything they had to follow Jesus. And they said, we believe. And here's why we believe. Let me tell you about the time that he walked on the water. Let me tell you about the time that he raised the dead. Let me tell you about the time. And as they heard that, their heart was expanded for the kingdom of God. That nucleus then grew to 120. And that 120 were now committed and sold out and searching after God with all their heart, their mind, their soul. Do you know that God is not looking for an audience? Did I say that? He wants you to be an army. He wants you to be in the military, so to speak, of the kingdom of God so that you face an enemy that you have and you know he's dangerous because he came to kill and steal and destroy and he has a dozen different ways he can do that in your life. But he said, I'm going to empower you with the works of the kingdom so that you're going to confront even the worst enemy and you're going to be victorious. Amen? Amen? And then all of a sudden, he takes and he uses somebody like Peter, the most unlikely guy to be used on the day of Pentecost, the biggest day in Christian history, to preach the gospel. He had already denied the Lord, but there was something in Peter that Jesus saw, and he said, I see in you the heart of God, the, someone after my heart, that even when you fail, you're going to come back. Even when you make a mistake, you're coming back. And all of a sudden, this Peter, who was running for fear, stands up on the day of Pentecost. He says, men of Israel, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And all of a sudden, the crowd was, was just damaged in the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? What must we do? And that day, 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. You just go a couple of chapters more, you come to chapter 4, and all of a sudden it records at 5,000 men. doesn't even talk about the the women and children, so you know there are at least 15,000 there. 5,000 men said, I want to follow Jesus. I believe in that message. And then you move down through the book of Acts, and it says that, that they had turned the world upside down. It only took 25 years for the world to begin to go, what is going on in our world? We thought we understood the world. We had a mindset about how the world works, and all of a sudden, it just got flipped on in by these believers who talk about Jesus in such a way, are so committed to him that they're willing to die for their faith. Hey, we believe in gods. We've got the pantheon, the place of all gods, but we don't have an adherence to one God like that. Who is this Jesus? And it turned the world upside down. Then you get to Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, and it says all of Asia, that's Asia Minor, had heard the word of Christ. So they were gossiping the word of God. That's literally what the word comes from. It means to gossip the message of the gospel. You ever gossiped? Anybody ever gossip? Let's see a show of hands. Look at the rest of you. You lie about other stuff too, won't you? We all gossip, don't we? We love it when someone gives us a little tidbit. Come on, just be honest. It's the weaker part of you, I know, but it's, you know, it's like eavesdropping with a purpose. So somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, i got to tell you this. Don't tell anybody else. Like that's going to happen. 
No, you tell me so I can tell someone else. That's how gossip works, right? What would happen if you would gossip Jesus? You come up to somebody, hey, God, i got to tell you something. Promise you won't tell anyone. Really, really? Are you promised? Oh, yeah, I will. I will. No, no, no. you got to promise me you won't tell anyone. Okay, I promise. I promise. Jesus loves you. Died on the cross. Rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Now, don't tell anybody. What are they going to do? And tell everybody. You know what Jesus did? I love what Jesus does in the book of Luke. He, he, a guy comes along and he says, hey, I'll follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. He said, do you know the Son of Man has no way to lay his head? I mean, birds, they have a nest, and the fox, he has a hole that he digs. And, but the Son of Man has no way, no place to lay his head. Do you really want to follow me? Jesus made it hard for people to follow him because he knew lightweight followers were no good in the kingdom. You can't change the world with those who just want to play Christianity as a hobby. You can't make a difference if you're not serious about the kingdom. And he goes through this parable, and three times a guy says, hey, I'll follow you, but i got to go bear my father. He says, no, no, you come follow me. He wasn't being cold-hearted. He was saying, you can't put anything in front of following me. Because when you do, you worship that thing. You adore that thing. It becomes a priority in your life. Jesus said, I want you to follow me. Follow me, amen? So sometimes when you're studying, you kind of get off. You ever got off on, you know, reading something, you get off on another subject, but it turns out to be either by divine design or it's just enlightening. So I came across this, and I want to put this up on the screen. It's called the Stroop Effect, and I want you to just read these words, okay? And when you read these words, I want you to kind of get a feel for what's happening to your mind when you read them. Okay, go ahead and just start reading them. Do you feel a conflict? Feel a conflict, you're reading the word yellow, but no, wait a minute, it's green. Blue. Now, if you're colorblind, this works for you perfectly. All right, you're going, I, it's all just black and white to me. I don't even know what's going on here. But you're reading yellow, blue, orange. No, And you, what happens, you have a disconnect between what you're reading and what you're seeing. And this study that was done in 1925 was, was an interesting study that still has uh, long-term effects, but it, it measures the interference of reaction time with your mind and your sight. And I thought that was really interesting because I, I kept doing it myself, and I kept just, I could get better at it, but I still didn't like it. I, I don't like that. You know, and another one has bananas that are red. I, I don't like red bananas. It does something to me. And then I realized it also was a study on selective attention. Because a part of what goes on when you look at that is that there are some of them that are easier to read than others. The disconnect is not quite as far. So, for example, it might be that the orange that's blue is a great disconnect, but somehow the black that is yellow is not for you, which doesn't make any sense. We're not trying to make sense of this, okay? We're trying to illustrate a, a truth here, and I realize this truth, that when the meaning of the word conflicts with the color of the word, you have a conflict in your mind. Now let's apply it to the spiritual dimension. When you're reading the Word of God, it's easy to be selective and have a disconnect with what's being said. You read it, you know what it says, but your mind is disconnected or selective in the process of applying it to your life. So what ends up happening is you read the things that you want to read or you see the things that you want to see, and much of the Word of God gets lost in the process for you. 
So you read Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, and you go, yeah, that's cool, I've heard that before, and you automatically disconnect as you would as if green was blue and yellow was black. What happens if the word of God all becomes true, and when you read it, you read it as God intended it, that is the the life that comes from heaven, the bread of life, the word of God is living, breathing, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and you slow down long enough to let it really get into your system. And that's what we want to talk about today is how do we take the Word of God, realize what he's saying, and here's the first thing. We're going to look at a very uh, familiar passage to many. It's Matthew chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission. And this Great Commission, we're going to kind of walk slowly through it so that you kind of get a feel for it. But I want you to start with this truth, and that is that we are commissioned to do the impossible. What Jesus told us to do is not possible. The things that are possible is what religion tells us to do. Religion says, show up every week, do this, this, and this, and this ritual, I can do that. That's possible. But when Jesus starts talking about things like reach the world, heal the sick, raise the dead, you're going, now this is out of my wheelhouse altogether, God. Why would you put that in there? I need some, a dose of religion. And most people are satisfied and actually prefer religion because I can put my hands around it. It's something I can do mentally and, and in my life, and psychologically it works for me, so I'm going to gravitate in that direction. Let's look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, beginning verse 18. Jesus said, all authority, all authority. That means the enemy does not have authority over him. The authority he has, he gives to you. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Bible continually, once you start to see this theme, you'll see it everywhere, and that is it it tries to draw, uh, lessen the distance between heaven and earth in your mind so that you understand there's a paper-thin veil that exists between heaven and earth. You see, heaven is not way up there. Heaven is here. It's just in another dimension. Is it a place? Yes. Is it a dimension? Yes. Is it here? Yes. We encounter heaven when we see people who pass into heaven. That's why when Teresa was passing in the last minute before she passes and goes into glory, she looks at all of her kids and she waves goodbye. How did she know in one minute she would be in glory? She had a glimpse of eternity. And sometimes it takes those moments in our life to us to, to just come up close enough to heaven to begin to see it. When we are walking in the Spirit of God and heaven is so powerful and the glory of God is so powerful, it feels different. You know why? Because you're coming closer and closer to that thin veil that separates heaven and earth. That's why he says you want to see miracles and you, bring, you, you lessen the distance between heaven and earth so that that which is happening on earth is what I intend in heaven and you begin to live out that in your daily life. So he says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. That's true followers. It doesn't say make church attendees. It doesn't, it doesn't say make an audience. It says when you make a disciple of all nations, we're going to be on track with what I've got in mind for all of you. And that's what God wants. Well, I got stuck on the word nations. And I began to think about nations. And, and I was so glad today on the worship team, and I was just kind of sitting there smiling, because when we started this church six years ago, we had all white bread. Can I say that? I mean, like, everybody was, like, white and boring, okay? And I thought, oh, Jesus, we need some, we need some exciting Latins in here. You know, we need... 
here for the Latins, right? We, we, need some, we need these cultures. We need all this stuff to kind of come. And I look up here, and, and here's my Hispanic brother right here, Drew. He's leading worship, you know, right, right? And it's all the salsa, dude. That's what gets you guys wound up. And, and, then, and then right here in the middle, you know, here's Ariel, and she's Filipino. And then, then I look over here, and here's Amy, and she's Japanese. And, and I'm going, and then on the stage up here, then I've got the Jamaican brother from Wales. Go make that one work. And then, you know, and then Pakistani. His wife's Pakistani. And I'm going, I love this place. I mean, the only thing boring, more boring than white Americans are white British people. Right? Am I right? Because they're kind of got, they're kind of like, you know, all proper, you know, and you're, you're worse that, you know, it's like, I have this whole theory on, on white, you know, it's just like, I can talk about white, right? Because I'm white. Is that good enough? I'm going to talk about white. And I always say, you know, like, whenever you go to the beach, and, and this is not related to the sermon, but you're going to enjoy it anyway, okay? You go to the beach. Have you ever noticed that white, fat people stick out? I do. I, I go on the beach. I go, I'm so white. I got to go get tanned. Because, and, but you, then you see like this giant Samoan guy. He's like 500 pounds. He's tanned. He looks cool. I don't know what's going on. Right? So the only thing worse than fat on a beach is white fat. So anyway, but that's, that's not related to anything. It's just to kind of give you a break before we go into the next level of teaching here. God loves the nations. God loves the nation. He made variety. I just love the fact that our church is getting some variety in here. And if you're, if you're Latin and you hold back, shame on you. But anyway, Proverbs, okay, Psalm 22, verse 27. Here's what God says, all the ends of the earth. So God looks over. He says, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. God says, this is my plan. I just want all the ends of the world and all the families and all, of all the nations to worship you. And, and then Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Look at this, and all peoples, nations, languages should what? Serve him, should serve him. Imagine you get to heaven, you know, all languages. You're walking down the, the hallway of heaven, you know, and here comes, a, here comes a guy and he speaks to you in Spanish, and you're not going, what's up? You, you, no, you, you instantly know Spanish, right? Now, we're all convinced that in heaven they're going to speak our native language. It's not true. I think we're all going to speak our own native languages, but we're all going to understand everybody's language instantly. The Bible says we will know as we have been known. Do you realize, so I, I just, I want to ask Jesus a question. You won't have to. He doesn't have time for all that. You're going to know as you've been known. Do you realize that in, the moment you step into eternity, you know as Jesus knew about you. You know, you have instant knowledge. You, have, you don't have to learn anything, retain anything all of a sudden, but your mind is going to continually expand throughout all of eternity from the input that you're going to get from God, but you'll never reach a capacity. Now, God has ultimate knowledge and understanding. There's nothing he's ever learned. He's never had an aha moment. He's never sought counsel from anyone. He instantly knows everything as well as he knows anything else. You're going to learn from that. Imagine, I'm just going to get off on this a minute. Just imagine you're in eternity and there are no shadows in eternity. He says, you will not need the sun, the moon, or the stars, for the glory of the Lord will be your light, and you shall reign as kings forever, and there is no shadow of turning. That is, the light is so brilliant, there's never a corner, a nick, a corner anywhere else where there's a shadow, because, all, because you are infused with light on every dimension of your being. 
I mean, think of that. Just think of that. You say, is it going to be boring? No, it's not boring. How can you be bored with the king of the universe who's already giving out assignments for for the universe for great tasks that are to be done by his people? If you, you know, if you got Hollywood in the mind where you know you got a little little harp and you've got a couple of cute little wings and a little chubby belly floating around singing, that ain't it. That's not it. He has divine assignments for every one of you. And some are going to have greater assignments because of your faithfulness here on earth. You don't just get great assignments because you thought you were cool on earth. You get to be cool on earth or cool in heaven. What do you want? I want to be cool in heaven then be humble and be servant of all. That's how you get there. See, the road's just backwards, isn't it? You know, and, our, and our whole world thinks that way. You know, we, when it says they turn the world upside down, you know, think about this. Jesus said that there's a broad road that leads to death, but there's a narrow road that needs to, leads to life. So what does America do? America creates all these streets with the name Broadway. And we're going to show you the most exciting, most expensive things we can that we have in our city on the, on the street called Broadway. It was not accidental, my friend. It's also not accidental that we're called narrow-minded as Christians because it says there is a narrow way. Guess what? I want to be so narrow-minded that I go to heaven. I want to be so narrow-minded I see the power of God. I want to be so narrow-minded that I believe that God can change anyone through his love, through his grace, and through his power. Amen? I want to be so narrow-minded that I believe that God is going to take businessmen, science, and all kinds of professionals and students, and he's going to give them, infuse them with a brilliance that's going to amaze the world. That's the kind of God that I want to believe in. That's the kind of God that I serve. Amen? He says, all peoples, nations, languages serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Our opportunity we have an opportunity coming up for Cusco, Peru. Many of you have heard about it, heard us talking about it. We're, we're kind of past that interest level. We're, we're now in commitment level. We have, uh, we have about 50-plus uh, mission volunteers from this church that are going to go and serve in Cusco to one of the great movements, I believe, in the kingdom of God. And I, you say, well, that's a pretty big statement. Well, do you realize that just... Three years or two years, three years ago, that they mobilized a group to go to Honduras, the same group we're working with. They went into Honduras. They said to the president of Honduras, We need you to do these things, and if you do these things, we can mobilize and change your nation in a week. We need you to, number one, give us the stadiums, access to the, all the stadiums in the country for a week. We need you to declare a national holiday for one nation one day, that we're going to change the nation in a day. We need you to give us three hours of free TV every day to advertise it, and we need all taxes and tariffs removed from all humanitarian cargo containers that we bring in. And the president of Honduras said, okay. They had a a dilemma because they had so many people wanting to participate, about 2,500 mission volunteers. They couldn't bring commercial airlines in fast enough, so they had to charter double-decker 747s, which wasn't a problem until they realized the airport in Honduras could not accommodate a 747 double-decker. So Honduras extended at their own cost the length of the runway to bring them in. Honduras was the murder capital of the world. After that crusade, it dropped to one half, and it has stayed down or declined since that three years ago. Mobilizing doctors, people that would do water, sports ministry, whatever. And, and we've got 50-plus, and I say plus because when I was sitting at the table this morning, there were four people signing up right then. Say, I want to go to Peru. I want to go to Peru. 
I want you to know I'd love to see all of these students go to Peru. And, and a lot of them are just, you know, they can't afford to go, you know. But um, look in their sad eyes and help them. <laughs> High school students look sad after this service. It's going to help you, trust me. Okay. But why? Why are we doing this? Because of the nations. There's 12 stadiums or 13 stadiums in Peru that, that are going to host these events. It'll culminate in a, in a day. Already 500 YWAM missionaries were left here this month to go and spend from now until June preparing the soil for the crusades, preparing the soil for the revival. They're expecting to see 5 million people saved in that week in Peru. Now think about that number. You say, well, that sounds like an exaggeration. Okay, it's only 2.5 million. How do you feel now? Honduras had 1.2 million. What if you could have a part in that? What if you could go? You say, I don't want to go. That's fine. Can you pray? I mean, really pray. Can you really pray for a move of God there? Because guess what? That 50 that goes there, you think they're going to come back here the same? You think we got some wild worshipers now? We're going to have some fanatics, amen? Okay? Can you give? Can you give? You know what I've learned about giving? Giving really doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't really fuel my prayers unless it hurts a little bit. When I give to something, when I pay for something and I miss it, I really bummed out. When somebody gives me a free ticket and I don't go, I don't care. You never want to operate in the kingdom with a free ticket. Because the motivation is going to deepen you spiritually into the kingdom. That's the goal, remember? That's the goal. It's not to build an audience. It's to build an army. And so when you begin to do that, you begin to go, wow, you know, I've, you know I'm sponsoring a kid to go to, to Peru, and you look at that kid and you go, you better go and you better be focused. <laughs> Amen? Right? You better be focused on Jesus that week. I don't want no homesickness, no wine, and nothing. Complain about the food, forget it. I sacrificed for you. That's what Jesus said when he died on the cross. I sacrificed for you. You don't have time for whining and griping, complaining. you got a kingdom assignment. Now go do it. I paid the highest price, my blood, for you to go in the kingdom. Amen? I can always tell when it's good because people get a little quiet. Go, you know, I think you're talking to me. I was out the other day and somebody said, yeah, I feel like you're talking right to me. I said, I am because you're guilty. I was just joking with her, having fun. But I want you to, I want you just to, furthermore, you know, you're going to join forces with 5,000 others. We've got 5,000 that are coming globally to meet with us. And then there's 5,000 more Peruvians who are committing themselves to be our translators, working on, alongside of us as interpreters and, and helping us uh, get the message of the kingdom of God out. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that exciting? And then I was one of the ones selected to preach at a 42,000-seat auditorium or stadium in Cusco. Amen? And, and I, want you just, I want you to just, I want you to get the gravity of this. Because right, right now, we have an immediate need for $17,000 for our next installment on this, on this sponsoring this stadium. And, you know, when I say that, you know, a lot of people say, I bet it's hard to preach on giving. It's the, it's the easiest thing I do. Because I know it's the quickest way to maturity. But let me tell you, when I think about 17, I don't get too worried and I want to just back up a little bit because we're coming up, we're six years, we're coming up on an anniversary now of, of our church. And, and I remember that we found this building, we put $100,000 down on this building, 
and we needed $2.5 million. And I remember standing up in church on that very Sunday in the Edwards Theater. If you've never started a church in a theater, you got to do it to experience it. I mean, you know, like people come in with nachos and they're chewing on them and popcorn and they got the lean back chairs, they're falling asleep. You got to shout more to keep them awake and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I remember the very day I got up and I said, we need either a loan or a gift of $2.5 million. And everybody laughed. Oh, I didn't think it was funny because I was going to lose $100,000 of the church's money. I needed $2.5 million. And nobody was taking me serious. I go, I'm serious. I kind of straightened him out. Guy walks up to me and he goes, hey, I'll loan you the $2.5 million. Now, instantly, what am I thinking? I'm walking on water. I'm raising the dead. I am the guy. God just used me to get $2.5 million. Four weeks out, before we were going to close on the, on the building, he sent me an email. said, hey, I can't loan you the $2.5 million. But I wanted to give you enough time to get a loan. Well, there wasn't a bank in America that trusted us. Not because we weren't trustworthy. We were just new. A little over a year old. We got $100,000 and smiling faces. That's all we had to a bank. But you know what? The greatest thing that ever happened was when that guy pulled us $2.5 million. You know why? Because it pushed us into a 21-day fast. We began to trust God, see God, believe God, and it set the spiritual tone of this church. We're a week out. I got nothing. I can't find a nickel in a couch. I'm not crazy about the way God arranges his calendar. Can you all agree with me? I'd love to have a better calendar system here, God, where we kind of, I pray you act. I pray you act. But he's not trying to meet my needs. He's trying to meet, he's trying to build me into the man of God I need to be. So I get a loan application on Tuesday. I fill it out. I send it to him. We close on the next Monday. Now, are you hearing what I'm saying? On Wednesday, I get a call from him. He said, I got good news where the, the junior loan committee has approved your loan. And I said, is there a senior loan committee? Oh, yeah. Are they meeting today? No, tomorrow. That's Thursday. I said, you know that I have to close on Monday. Oh, I know. It's no big deal to him. It's not, he's not closing. It's me. Thursday, he calls me. He said, I got good news and bad news. Don't you love those? I got good news and bad news. How many of you take the good news first? Not me. I take the bad news. I want to get it over with, give me the poison, and then bring in the doctor. Okay, I said, give me the bad news. The bad news is we cannot close on Monday. And I said, is there good news in this? I mean, I'm, I'm having trouble with this one right now. He said, yeah, we're going to close on Friday. That was tomorrow, the next day. Now, he, what he didn't know was we were praying and fasting for three things, $2.5 million loan, $200,000 additional money that we were going to raise here to renovate, and that we would pull all the permits on the day we closed so we could get started. He said, you know, we were looking at it. He said, we don't think $2.5 million is enough money, so we're going to put another $200,000 in it if that's okay with you. Now, remember, he doesn't know, right? I said, I think that'll be fine. <laughs> we, closed, we closed on Friday ahead of time. We pulled all the permits on Monday, and we did all the renovation of this building in 120 days. So when I ask you for $17,000, I've already been pulled through the knothole backwards. Amen? 
I, I ain't not, you can't scare me too much anymore. I've already had all the all the pajibis, whatever those things are, scared out of me. Remember that? My, you used to get the pajibis scared out of you when you were a kid. I don't know what they were, but I was afraid of them. Leave them in there. Don't be messing with them. Let me show you a picture of the stadium. Here's a soccer stadium in Cusco, Peru. We're going to be preaching in. Our team's going to be supporting. Now, just imagine right now, that's, that seats 42,500 people. Imagine you have a part in the nation's changing lives. One day you're walking down that hallway again in, in eternity. A Peruvian walks by you and goes, hola. You instantly know what that means. And you go, hello? He goes, he knows what that means. And, go, and he goes, thank you. Yo necesito historia más español. Solamente inglés. But anyway, so immediately you know what's going on there. Immediately. And you go, I was a part of that person's life. What is that worth? Oh, my gosh. Let me take you to the next one. Baptize with power. Look at the next part of this verse. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. The, oh, wait. Yeah. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me show you the three baptisms in Scripture. And I want to lay it out like this. It's going to make it easy. Uh, the first baptism in Scripture is a, a baptism into the body. The next one is into water. And the next one is the Spirit. Okay. Now, what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ? Here's what happens. You say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God comes into your heart Okay, this is what it means. The Holy Spirit's going to come in you. So the Holy Spirit comes, and he immediately places you in the body of Christ. So now you become a family member with other people who believe and who have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And so now you've been saved. God puts his seal on you, marking you as his child, and you walk in this faith. Now, that, that's, that's Christianity 101. That's the basic right there. I just got saved because I believed in Jesus. He died. He, he was buried. He rose from the dead for me. That's the gospel, okay? Now, the next thing that, that would happen typically would be a person. This is supposed to be waves. This is a person being baptized. So the next thing is there's a water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of the spirit baptism, and Jesus said when he came to be baptized of John the Baptist, he, John said, no, I sh you should baptize me. He said, forbid it not, John, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So there's something tied to that. The reason we baptize by immersion is because it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. So what, what Scripture says is that we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, so we would walk in newness of life. So the idea is when I'm immersed in water, it's like a picture of death. I'm brought up out of the water, it's a picture of life. Now, that's what baptism is. That's why sprinkling, pouring, hosing, power washing people with water isn't the same. You have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You have to follow him in believer's baptism for the, for the, the picture to be correct. Okay, you got that? Baptism is a lot of fun. I promised the first service I'd tell some of these stories because I could write a whole book on water baptism stories, but what I want to do is write a whole book on spirit-baptized uh, people, right? But here, here's, here's the thing. 
Very first baptism I ever had. I'm 23 years old. I'm a pastor of a church. I don't know what I'm doing. I'd only been saved two years before that. I'm now senior pastor. Can you imagine how much I knew? I mean, I know a little bit more than that now, but I'm telling you, I was green. So I don't, nobody ever showed me how to baptize anybody. I'd kind of watched the whole thing routine. And my first baptism is Richie Hunter. This is how you know it's traumatic. When you can remember someone's name that long ago, you know you're still in trauma and need a support group. Amen? Richie Hunter comes down to the water. I told Richie, you know, just close your arms, bend your knees, hold your breath, put you down, you're coming back up. Everything was going good till he came back up. Should have kept him down. He came up out of the water, and he's screaming, Mama, Mama, that man tried to drown me. Now, if you're the new pastor, and you're trying to convince other people to get baptized, does that really help? That doesn't help at all. Next one is Maud Orcutt. You can't make that name up. This is South Louisiana, Maud Orcutt. Maud, I tried to convince to wear the baptismal robe because it's proper and it works and you can't see through it. But Maud was said, I've never been in church without a dress and I'm not starting now. Now, we had, do you remember the, do you remember the churches? Some churches still have them, but they had the baptistry up high and they had the curtains, right? And that, we had one of those. It was like a big aquarium up on, the, up on the wall. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're like new to church and you walk in and you walk in, that's going on, you go, oh my gosh, this is the aquarium church. What's going on? But anyway, so, and we had a guy, his job was to, to, to do the curtains. He had a little hand, you know, he just pulled a little thing, you know, it was a ministry. You know, my ministry is what? I got it right, okay. So Maud steps down into the water. She had that dress on, and that dress did a parachute. It just flattened out. Now there's glass in the front of this thing. Are you with me on this? Fortunately, the curtains closed, I, and, and Maud looks at me with just the most horrified look on her face. She said, what do we do? I said, just start pushing. And we're pushing this dress down to get Maud ready. Now, that's just the beginning of the problem because Maud was not a good listener either. Now, the, the goal here is this baptistry is only so big. The goal is for Maud to bend her knees and then lay back in the water. So I've got her here, and all of a sudden I, I said, okay, Maud, we're gonna, I'm going to baptize you now, and she starts walking back. And I've got to walk with her. Now I can't have room to baptize her, and I've got to walk her forward again. Now remember, I'm trying to get people to be baptized. All right, I got her here. So, so I said, now, Maud, just don't move. Just don't walk backwards. Just stand there. Now all this is going on. Everybody's watching me in the fishbowl. And she does it again. I'm red in the face. I'm saying it will not happen again. I got Maud. I said, I'm getting ready to baptize you. And I leg swept her. Down she went. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to act. I could go on, but some of you want me to get on. Okay, so here we go. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's also the baptism of the Spirit. So what happens here, and sometimes this happens simultaneously, okay, and that is that the Spirit baptism, this, 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 immersion into the Spirit of God that brings power. Sometimes it manifests itself in different ways, but this immersion of the Spirit takes place simultaneously. Most of the times it's, it's a later event that happens in your life where all of a sudden you come to a realization of new power, new authority, new understanding of the Scripture, and, and, and God is just working in that way. But you're to be marked by endurance as well. 
if you're gonna if you're gonna follow after Jesus, one of the things that marks you out as a believer is this: that you don't give up on Jesus because you can't because He's in you. First John says it like this. He says, there's some that left. People say to me all the time, well, they used to be a Christian or, you know, they were this and that and they were so faithful, now they're not. I said, no, they never were. And they look at me like, no, they never were, but they said they were. It doesn't matter. What you say isn't always what you are. First John put it like this. They were not all of us, for had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But it came evident that they were not of us, for they departed from us. Black preacher friend of mine put it like this. They had a fizzle. Those who, who, who fizzle at the finish had a flaw in their faith from the first. See, there's something about you having the, the God of the universe in you that keeps you faithfully walking forward with him, marked by endurance. Look what it says, Matthew 28, uh, 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't care where you go and what you do. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you power, authority, and dominion even to the end of the age. I've commanded you in this matter. It's not a suggestion from God. It's a command from God. So what happens? Faith gives us access to all the resources of heaven. So you don't have to say, well, how do I pull this off? No, remember, we started with walking the Christian life is an impossible journey unless you're empowered by the Spirit of God. Faith gives you access to all the resources of heaven. And what happens is our, we are to reveal the heart of the Father. When you reveal the Father's heart, and that's your primary motivation, your primary motivation shouldn't be get people to church. Your primary motivation is reveal the heart of the Father. Because if, really, if they really encounter the God who loves them that way, they're immediately drawn into that. There will be time to invite them and to be time to study. There will be time to invite and all those things, but reveal the heart of the Father. Just say, hey, God loves me. You say, I don't even know what to say. You don't have to. Just say, look, I ain't that great a Christian. haven't been reading the book that much. I should be reading more. I haven't been to church enough lately, but I want you to know, I do know that God loves you, and God wants you to, to know his love. And here's, how, here's the way into the kingdom. It's pretty simple, and I don't have any great arguments built up to defend myself yet, but I want to. Just be honest. People love that honest, vulnerable, like I'm a real Christian kind of person. And then remember, it's impossible to represent God without the Holy Spirit. You can't represent God. And that is represent Jesus to people in the power of the Spirit of God. Amen? So last week I, uh, I wrote a, a prophetic blessing that many of you just have a uh, have responded back in a great way and I, I I did the same thing this morning I wrote another one and I I call it more Lord Lord more Lord and I posted it on my Instagram if you want to go there you'll have it because I, I every time I do one of these people say where is that and I just I just start posting on Instagram that way you have it but I, what I want to do is I, I want I want you to want to be immersed in the power of God immersed in the spirit of God seek more power. But I can't want that for you. I can't make that happen for you. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to invite you here to the front, and we're going to pray this prayer together. It's called More Lord, More Lord. And uh, we're praying, God, for a deeper baptism of your spirit. We're praying, God, for just a pouring out of your power, your grace, your mighty 
just power. We're going to have this up on the screen. They've done it for us this time, and it's great. But uh, let's just say this together as a, as a prayer and just an impartation of the Spirit of God on us. We'll kind of cram in here. Got a big empty hole right here. Just kind of, just kind of, every, all you just kind of shift. You shift this way. That way we'll make some room for people coming down the aisle. The way that this connects in reality in your life is your desire and your faith. Okay, your desire and your faith. Let's say this together. More, Lord. More, Lord. A deeper work of your spirit is needed for me to influence my world. I set aside every sin and wait that hinders the kingdom. Baptize me with your power and authority over every demonic spirit. Baptize me with a breath from heaven in the name I lost my place. In the name Jesus, the King of heaven and earth. Now right now, just say, God, I receive that. Bring a mighty baptism of your spirit on me right now. Let me never be the same. Let me be a better version of me. Powerful, anointed, filled with the spirit. Speaking truth in love wherever I go. Never ashamed of the gospel. Anoint me for this task. And guide me by your word. Guide me by your spirit in Jesus' name. 